Good morning and welcome again. We're glad that you're with us today. If you're visiting, as always, we invite you to come back and be with us. We're grateful that you've chosen to come here today. We're very glad that we have a number of visitors with us, and we always want you to know that you're a special guest. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in just a minute as we think about the theme, the privilege of serving Jesus. I want to call attention to verses 14 and 15, and then specifically verse 17 in our study together today. I want to begin by saying what a great privilege it is to be a child of God, to be a Christian, to know that in Christ we have an abundant and joyful life. The Bible tells us that every spiritual blessing known to man is in Christ. And those of us who are in Christ, we have a vast array of spiritual blessings at our disposal. One of which, of course, is forgiveness. But there are many blessings that we enjoy as Christians. But I want us to think for a minute or two today about the privilege of serving Jesus. And there are some reasons why I believe it is a privilege to serve Jesus. I want us to begin by talking for a moment or two about the motivation for serving Jesus. I want to call attention to verse 14 in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Here the Apostle Paul says, the love of Christ constrains us. In other words, it presses or impels us. The love of Christ serves as a catalyst, if you please, for serving in the kingdom of God. When we think about the love of Christ, and that theme is predominant in Scripture, there are some things that maybe we would do well to consider in light of this, particularly as it relates to how it can be a catalyst for our service today in the kingdom of God. First of all, I want to call attention to the power of Christ's love. Listen, if you would, to what Paul said. The love of Christ constrains us, and we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. And then in verse 15, Paul said, and he died for all. When we talk about the power of Christ's love, to know that as Paul said, he died for all. The Hebrew writer said in chapter 2, verse 9, that Jesus tasted death for every man. Paul would say, though he were rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 at verse 9. And then I think about the profound love of Christ. And I understand that these concepts are interrelated, but to just step back and think about the profound love of Jesus. Here's what the Lord said on one occasion. Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Did you know that Jesus went to the cross for you? Did you know that Jesus Christ willingly came to this earth to suffer, bleed, and die for you, individually speaking? Which reminds me of the personal love of Christ. Listen again to what Paul said in verse 14. The love of Christ constrains us. 
Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all. The personal love of Jesus. If you don't think Jesus loved you individually, I want you to think about very carefully what the Bible has to say. When Paul wrote to the saints of Galatia, he would say on one occasion, I have been crucified with Christ. He said, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul realized that when all was said and done, Jesus personally loved him. Until we understand the personal love of the Lord and realize that Jesus went to the cross for us, specifically for me and for you. It's only then that we can somehow understand what a privilege it is to serve him. Sometimes I think we look at the scriptures and we think about God's word in theory. Or maybe we look at the word of God and think of it in abstract terms. What we ought to do is look at God's word in a personal way. John said unto him who loved us, Jesus went to the cross, shed his blood for me and for you. Do you remember the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1? When he said in verse 15, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul understood the personal nature of the love of Jesus. And so what we need to do is understand that the love of Christ is a motivating factor for service in the kingdom of Almighty God. There's a second thing I want to call your attention to, and that is the consecration needed in serving Jesus. Here's what Paul said in verse 15, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. The idea is that Jesus died for us. And so since he died for us, we ought to be willing to live for him. When you look at, the, when you look at this verse, a couple of things stand out in my mind. First of all, a death takes place when people sign on in the kingdom of God. In other words, when people become New Testament Christians, one of the prerequisites is to deny self, the death of self, if you please. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That word deny carries with it the idea of losing oneself. Really, it carries with it the idea of putting our interest on the back burner in favor of the Lord's interest. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified unto me and I unto the world. What Paul was saying is that he died to the love and the practice of sin. 
that a death took place. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you've got to be willing to deny yourself. You've got to be willing to take up my cross and follow me on a daily basis. Listen again to what Paul said, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. One of the most difficult concepts for people to somehow understand in coming to Jesus is this fact, that we've got, we've got to somehow relegate our interests, our aims, our desires in favor of the Lord's. Now what about the dedication that's necessary in serving the Lord? Well, Paul said that we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again. Here's the idea. Jesus has to be preeminent in our lives. When Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, he said he's the head of the body of the church, which is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Paul here is saying that in everything, Jesus must be preeminent. Is he preeminent in the church? Yes, he is. But let me ask this question. Is he preeminent in your life? What does it mean for Jesus to have preeminence in my life? I want to suggest that as we think about being dedicated to the Lord and living for him who died for us and rose again, he must be preeminent in my purpose. That is, what, what is the purpose of my existence? Well, once I become a child of God, my purpose is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, according to Matthew 6, 33. In other words, I'm willing to put him above any and everything. I'm saying that Jesus is number one to me. Everything else is a distant second, but he is the focal point of my life. The word first in Matthew 6, 33 means first in time, in place, in order. Jesus is saying, I need to be number one in your life. And so if he's going to be preeminent in my life, I've got to have, I've got to have the mindset that he is going to be preeminent in position. That is, number one. And then what about Jesus being preeminent in my praise? My praise to him. When we come together on the first day of the week, one of the blessings is that we enjoy fellowship with one another. We are with people of like precious faith. It's encouraging to see people that believe like we do and think like we do and act like we do. It's encouraging to see people that want to live so that they can one day go to heaven. But we also come together to glorify God, to lift up his name. The psalmist said, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. The Hebrew writer talks about offering unto God the fruit of our lips, the sacrifice of praise. Did you know that when we come together on the first day of the week that we are bowing in the presence of Almighty God? That we're giving him the glory that he's due as our creator, our sustainer, and our redeemer? The Bible talks about how the Lord created all things. We understand that he made us in his own image and likeness. That he sustains us, upholds us by the word of his power. Everything is held in check by the Son of God. He's what lends balance and symmetry to the universe in which we live. And then he is our redeemer. 
Paul said, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to every man, instructing us to the intent that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And so Jesus must be preeminent in my life in terms of the position that I give him in my life or my purpose for living. But then there's another thing. He ought to be preeminent in my practice. That is the way I conduct myself here on earth. As a child of God, I ought to live so that I am demonstrating the light of Christ before others. Remember what Paul said on one occasion, you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Jesus talked about how we are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Did you know that you can demonstrate before others what it means to be a New Testament Christian? When Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Show the world what it means to be a New Testament Christian. The most powerful sermon ever preached is verbal and visible, isn't it? We talk about the power of verbally proclaiming the Word of God. And understand that God's Word has the power to save the soul. But a lot of times when individuals observe how we conduct ourselves, it's a drawing force, if you please, to Christ. Sometimes individuals will observe the way we handle ourselves in the various circumstances that life throws at us. And their conclusion is, whatever you have, I want. Well, it's because Jesus is preeminent in the way I conduct my affairs on this earth. So preeminent in practice. I want to just ask you very quickly. When people, when people see you at the grocery or at a department store or on the job, at school, when they see your life, do they see somebody who is measuring up to the words of Paul? When he said, you no longer live for self, but for him who died for you and rose again. Are you living for him? And then he must be preeminent in our performance. That is, we have been saved to serve, haven't we? Paul said in Titus chapter 2, at verse 14, that Jesus gave himself to redeem us from all sin that we might be a people for his own possession, zealous of good works. I like what he said in Ephesians 2, verse 10, when he said, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works. The idea is, and what Paul is trying to say is, as a child of God, you are God's masterpiece. God is saying to the world, look at what I've done to my servant, and look at what my servant can do through Jesus. And so, we've been saved to serve. There's a third thing I want you to see in our study, and that is the transformation 
that occurs and enables us to serve Jesus. Listen to what he said in verse 17. Therefore, in light of the fact that Christ has come, lived, and died for us, that we've died to self, we are now what? We're a new creation in Christ. Here's what he said. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, listen to what Paul said. All things have passed away. Think about your old life. Your old life as a sinner. Paul was writing to the people at Corinth, wasn't he? What kind of people made up the city of Corinth? What kind of people made up the church at Corinth? Well, in chapter 1, there were obviously some that were divided in their beliefs. He chided them to not be divided among themselves, but to all speak the same thing, that they might be united together. In chapter 6, he talked about how the unrighteous would not inherit the kingdom of God. And he said, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, or covetous, or drunkards, or revilers, or extortioners. In verse 11, he said, and such were some of you. Now listen again to what he said. If anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. What Paul is saying is, that old will has been replaced by a new will. I'm not what I once was as a sinner. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, who has enabled me, counting me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who before was a blasphemer, a persecutor, he said, and an insolent man. He said, but I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Look at the life of Paul. Paul is saying, in Christ, you are new. That is, you are a new creation. Here's what God can do. He can take somebody who is a sinner and he can make them a saint. That's exactly what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. He wrote to those who comprise the church of God at Corinth, those that have been sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be saints. Think about that. That old will has been replaced by a new will. And then our old ways have been replaced by new ways. Paul said, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What about my old ways? My old habits? My old inclinations? I've tried to put them to death. Paul would say those that are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and lust in Galatians 5.24. The idea is, again, that we've died to the love and the practice of sin. And we're saying, I'm not that old person that I used to be. That old person you used to know, he or she, dead. And so, the old will replaced by a new will. Our old ways replaced by new ways. Our old works replaced by new works. Think about this for a minute. As a child of God, 
I have been saved from all sin. And the beauty of that is, God said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Their sins and their iniquities, I will remember no more. Whatever you've done in the past, it's in the past. It's gone forevermore. Why? Because of the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. John said unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood. To know that every sin is washed away, that I can start anew in this life. When Jesus talked to Nicodemus on one occasion, he told Nicodemus, and by the way, Nicodemus was a ruler among the Jewish people. And he said, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus thought Jesus was talking about a physical birth. And so he asked the question, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, verily, verily, I say to you, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. When you obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, the beauty is you get to start fresh. You get to start all over. We talk about being born again. To be born again is to become a child of God, to have a fresh start, a clean slate, and then to serve the Lord, to live for him who died for us. Is it a privilege to be a child of God? Absolutely. When I think about all the joys and the blessings that we have in Christ, when Paul wrote to the church at Philippi and Paul was in prison, he said, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. We can rejoice because life and the circumstances of life do not necessarily dictate our inward state. Paul said, I've learned in whatever state I'm in, therein to be content. Here's Paul in a Roman prison, but he's content. Why? Because he's in Christ. Because that past has been done away. And because he can focus on going forward. If you're a child of God, you've got something to be grateful for. Because God in heaven has cleansed you, redeemed you. He has sanctified you. In other words, he has set you apart from the world unto himself. And you're ready to serve. And Paul is saying as a child of God, individually speaking, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about living for the Lord about putting him first, making him preeminent in life. It all begins, though, by this transformation that occurs. I want you to think about this very quickly. God can use you, whoever you are, wherever you are, in this life. God can take somebody whose life has been ravaged by sin, blown up by a life of sin, Here's somebody that is so deep in the muck and the mire of sin, they wonder how in the world can they ever get out of that lifestyle. But God has the ability to take that person out of a life of sin, cleanse them, place them in his body, and then use them in a great way. God can use you. God can use you individually as one of his servants. All you have to do is let him. All you have to do is say, you know what? I want to be a servant of the Lord. It's a privilege to serve the Lord. It's a great blessing. Look, the greatest message in this world is the gospel. 
We, we talk about trying to transform our world and transform our nation. And we talk about the problems that we face as a nation of people. Let me tell you what. We have the power to literally turn this world upside down. You know what that power is? The gospel. That's what will do it. Wherever Paul went, he preached the gospel. The Bible says he spent 18 months in the city of Corinth preaching the gospel. And many of those people, many of those Corinthians heard the gospel, they believed the gospel, and they were baptized into Christ. These are the very people that he wrote to. And he said, if any man's in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How do you deal with the, with the guilt of a past that has been plagued by sin? How do you deal with that? Jesus. Come to Christ. Here's what you need to do to become a child of God. First, believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I am He, you'll die in your sins. To, to confess, as Peter did, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. To make that good confession. To repent of our sins. That is, to turn from a life of sin. And then to be immersed in a watery grave of baptism. When you're baptized into Jesus Christ, here's what happens. You contact the blood of Christ. How do I know it's when we're baptized into Christ? Because Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 3, Know ye not that all we who are baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? It's there we contact the blood. It's the blood that washes away our sins, Acts 22, 16. And then the Bible says, be faithful until death. It is a privilege to serve Jesus. At best, we are unprofitable servants, as Jesus said, but we're servants nevertheless. The Lord can use you in great ways if you'll allow him to. What's the song that we sing? Let him have his way with thee. Will you let the Lord have his way with you today? If you're unfaithful to his cause, could I encourage you to come to Christ? Come home to him. Come back to him. The Bible tells us that God is interested in you. At one time, you were a part of his body, faithfully living. For whatever reason, you went back into the world, and the Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And today, we want to pray with you and for you. God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.